Hello, it's the Chatterinos, it's the Chatterati, it's the Chattanoogas, the Chat Potatoes, uh, whatever else you came up with, Le Chat. Um, yeah, hi everyone, it's New Year's, let's get to it, just me, talking about stuff from the year, goes for ages, apologies. <laughs> Alright, 2023, let's do it. Having a few beers, happy new years. <laughs> it's uh yeah, nearly twenty twenty three. I thought I'd do a another solo pod. Uh and uh go through some uh, highlights I had in terms of film, in terms of music, and uh, in terms of books. Um, and, you know, ramble all over the place. But it'll just be me, so if you're interested in some scintillating conversation, then you'll have to go elsewhere, I'm afraid. Uh, so what are we going to start with? What kind of year has it been? I don't know. Yeah, good times and bad, I guess. <laughs> uh, we lost our beloved cat earlier in the year. That was a pisser. Uh, in a bad way. Uh, I guess you can say, oh, that was a pisser, that was a good one. Uh, but no, bad. And she was only three. That was very sad. Uh, teachable moments, though. You know, that really teaches your kids about uh, loss and grief and how they deal with it and who externalises it, older child, and who internalises it, younger child, and younger child's uh, ability to, um, I guess, be like a caregiver to parents and and uh, uh like the week after the monday after uh i went to work violet went to school but noelle stayed home because she wanted to just um be home with mum and and make sure she was okay make her lunch and all those little things that's that's the kind of uh person i guess that she is uh, violet wanted to go to school just to push on that's the kind of person she is um yeah, so that was a bit of a pissar, and then uh, we got a new cat, and uh, he's the stupid prince, and uh, he has interrupted many a podcast, and or Mr. Ambassador, or the floof, or whatever you want to call him. He's very, very cute and lovable, but a little cross-eyed. <laughs> I don't know if that's inbreeding. Kind of what I would expect, like the uh, Victorian-era royals, perhaps, shall we say. Um... Yeah, but anyway, I, I digress all over the shop. I uh, caught up with the boys, as you heard. Yeah, talking to the boys, which I now use that voice all the time if I talk to the boys, just so Noelle knows who I'm talking to. Uh, and she does it way too often for my liking. Public transport, that kind of thing. Sometimes she tells people, yeah, my daddy likes drinking beers. It's not true. I don't know where that comes from, uh, but uh, it's me, I guess. That's... Uh, that's me now, so that's uh, where we are. Uh, anyway, crapping on, crapping on. Let me uh, start off. I, I thought I might talk about film to start off with. Um, and I don't know, back to the movies, I guess. It went back to the movies more this year than certainly I have in probably the past two years combined. So that was nice. Um, I'm sure most of us uh, went and saw Top Gun Maverick. In the cinema, that was, uh, I don't know, was that like a community like relief? Like, let's all go to the movies, let's all go and watch this one movie. It's, it's re rare to have 
um, something like, what do they call it? Monoculture? Like where everyone does the same thing or everyone watches the same thing. It's, you know, certainly when I was growing up, it was Titanic. I didn't go and see Titanic, but, you know, that was the, the thing. It was taught, everyone talked about it. People went to saw it, see it five or six times. But I don't know. It's, it seemed to have um, sort of a poultice, shall we say, uh, for people to not only go back to the theatre, go back to the cinema and watch it in a group of people, but just, you know, have nostalgia, uh, overload of references to the first Top Gun. On the most part, I mean, I had pretty low expectations. I just thought, oh, here we go. But it was enjoyable. Um, some of the callbacks to previous... The previous one were over the top, like, hey, remember this scene? Let's show a flashback so you know exactly what we're referencing. But, you know, I was kind of uh, suitably impressed with how they did did it. I mean, it was a pretty silly movie, but it was a good silly movie. That's, that's fine. You can go and see good silly movies. I mean, Con Air is still like one of the best. Face Off, you know, really don't think about what's actually happening and it's a good movie. Um, I don't know, just nostalgia overload referenced everything soundtrack um tom cruise as a superhero he sort of can't die unless he died at the start <laughs> oh that'd be funny if he died jumping out of mac 10 and the whole thing's a death dream that's pretty funny um and also i, I didn't expect to um sort of be moved by this, the scene with val kilmer as Iceman. this sort of meta farewell i guess to val kilmer as a as an actor, I, I can't imagine he'll be in any other movies, but sort of like handled in, in such a way where the the movie knew it was doing, and we're going to just pause this movie basically so we can, I don't know, say farewell to Val Kilmer, the actor. It was very strange when you think about it removed, but again, um, you wouldn't, I wouldn't have expected it to have sort of that sensitivity, and maybe I'm wrong. Um, but that was a big surprise. Uh, so I can't discount it. It'd be easy to be like, everyone went to a Maverick is stupid. Uh, but I enjoyed it. So, you know, good for it. Uh, the, one of the first movies I saw really early in the year, certainly face masked and, and side eye to people coughing in the cinema was, um, I went and saw Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza, um, which is a great movie, effective Beautiful, funny, strange, sort of a whole lot of vignettes here and there. But, like, why is the central character 14? Like, he doesn't have to be. If you've seen the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, it's just weird why he's 40. He doesn't look 14. He, he looks like he's about 19. Why didn't they just say, hey, he's 19, everyone, and that would have been fine. Or at least 17. I don't know. It was just strange. Why is he 14? Just, no. No. Redo. Um, sort of colours the whole movie and uh, yeah anyway um, I guess uh, another movie experience more than anything else was going to see the movie Barbarian horror movie came out uh, in Australia anyway in October uh, I'd heard that it was weird and freaky and scary and strange Um and shift in tone, and I took Justine and uh, 
uh, producer Nick Maniatis. Uh, and I said, we're going to see Barbarian. Don't read anything about it. And we all went in there. Uh, and I'm, I mean, I'm not afraid to cut Wiggins, but I don't really like watching too much horror. I mean, some of my favorite movies are horror, but um, I, yeah, I don't like body horror or anything like that. Those kind of hostel or sore. I never really enjoy that. So I'm always, if I don't know what a movie's about, I don't know how I'm feeling. Uh, and so there were a couple of times watching Barbarian and one point which I jokingly said, I, I'm going to leave now uh, because there's some really freaky imaging in it. But I won't really, I don't want to talk about it because uh, if you like horror or any kind of surprising shifts in tone, then watch Barbarian, I guess, any way you can. Uh, it's got some good casting and uh, plays with that. It's very heavy-handed in its morally in its moralization. Uh, men are bad. Uh, modern men, past men, men from Hollywood, they're pretty bad. Um, if women are bad, then a man has made them bad. Um, that kind of heavy-handedness. Some of the physics, uh, bad, bad physics in the movie, but uh, fantastic um, experience. It's always good to have a good experience rather than be like, oh, it was a great movie, but sometimes just an experience is... Um, all you want, really. Um, another movie I saw earlier in the year, not at the cinema, was uh, Pedro Almodovar. Um, he made a movie called Parallel Mothers. Now, I'm only bringing it up here because he's a really good director, but the plot is like, like D-grade soap opera. So if I explain what happens in the movie you would say, that sounds stupid. Um, and even a few times in the movie, I said, this is stupid. But good directing, great performances, sort of allow you to be like, well, that was, okay, this is really stupid. Uh, this would never happen. But if it did, then I believe these characters are behaving in a realistic way. And that's, I don't know how you do that. That seems pretty weird to me. Uh, that in a movie like Parallel Mothers, again, if I read the plot, you'd be like, what? Um, but it's, yeah, he, he just does it and he writes it well. Uh, the Probably like the best documentary, can I move over to that, uh, is Summer of Soul. I think uh, Questlove directed it. It won an Oscar for best uh, documentary, but the story behind it was the uh, 1969 Harlem Culture Festival which was happening around the same time as Woodstock, um, where Questlove himself had always heard people re refer to this um, festival, this music festival, but there was no recording of it. It wasn't covered in media. He could never find any references to it. So every now and then, like, the people involved would, like, pop up and have, you know, have a chat about it, mention it, and he couldn't find anything about it. And it's clear that there's a reason and the 1969 Harlem Culture Festival happened again like I said the same time as Woodstock that got all the focus and also the same time as the moon landing and some of the uh, best bits of the documentary are when they actually stop people on the street and they're like oh by the way uh, we landed on the moon and you know some of it is related to oh okay uh, does that make any difference to me? Or, yep, cool. How much money did they spend? Again, like, we, we sort of get this 
version of history where like every, the world stopped and watched the man watch a man land on the moon and everyone was invested in a great moment for the world for the world one small step for man etc so but you you forget that at the time people there of course there would have been people who were like well i don't care it's not important to me and why are they spending all this money there's people down here that need money and um and then of course someone smoking a big fat one just going oh i'm high as the moon already it's fine i'm gonna visit them all that good stuff anyway but it's like this fantastic footage of this three or four day event you know sly and the family stone and staple sisters and gladys knight and the pips and um nina simone and you know stevie wonder and Oh my God, Stevie Wonder live on stage, 1969, just electric. The whole thing is just incredible, and all these people just getting up and belting out to huge crowds. And again, this weird sort of event that was like a legend until like they found the footage. So um, I, the note I wrote next to it was, "Holy shit, it's good." So Summer of Soul, watch it if you can find it, and you like music. Who doesn't? Um, I wanted to just go over uh, when I had COVID. For some reason, I felt the urge to watch uh, some older movies that I hadn't seen. And in the span of the you know seven days or however long I was in quarantine in my room, I watched um, Three Days of the Condor, which is this uh, conspiracy thriller from the 70s with Robert Redford. Um, I watched The Verdict with a great Paul Newman performance. Uh, standard sort of like loser, lawyer, big drinker um, who has like a, a, a crisis of conscience, I guess, uh, and realizes that this medical malpractice is um, has been covered up and realizes that it's... Um, he, it's his duty and his passion and I guess this drive of life to actually help them. It's a great performance. Uh, and it, and like Three Days of the Condor, this weird attitude to women is pervasive all the way through. I mean, uh, Paul Newman, if you haven't seen The Verdict, uh, he gets betrayed by uh, Charlotte Rampling's character who uh, is dodging uh, information to his um, to the defendant's. Um, uh, he's actually paid by the defendants to buddy up with Paul Newman and get close to him and then find out all the information. And, uh, Paul Newman just walks into a bar and punches her right in the face. And, uh, you know, shock and chagrin, and that's it. And then it's kind of like, well, she deserved it for doing that kind of thing. Um, so that was pretty pretty, uh, uh, pretty intense to see. And also even in Three Days of the Condor, there's weird stuff happening there. Um you know, he's on the run and uh, the government's after him and it's, oh, it's all these... And he uh, convinces a, a woman to let him into her apartment so he can be safe, pretend he's her boyfriend, maybe ties her up at some point so she can't escape. You know, fine stuff. And then, of course, they fall in love, like as you do. Um, and that's also pretty weird. Um, and the... Um, Good movies, but yeah, problematic in terms of their attitudes to women. Uh, the other movie that I watched too, which was um, Brian De Palma's 
uh, Blowout, which is John Travolta, um, a movie that when it came out in 1980 or 81, just made no money and nobody saw it, um, but was, I thought, really good, uh, kind of, um, how can we put it, masturbatory in terms of like the director going, look what how good making films is and how important like making editing and sound choices are and this is how sound works and I'm going to show you a few tricks of the camera and and do that but uh, I'm also going to you know imitate Hitchcock which De Palma always like to do but a really interesting movie very similar Three Days of the Condor blow out these sort of conspiracy uh, films where someone's trying to prove they're innocent uh the only thing is that in Blowout, you, John Travolta will probably be dead, really. Like the people who he's, he's trying to uncover the truth about would probably just kill him. Um, but it's a great, I thought it was a great movie and a great John Travolta performance. Really sort of natural in, in his sort of flowing, you know, young man style. Sort of like the way he moves and talks and sort of this sort of natural just confidence that he's going to work things out um but yeah that was a weird sort of three movie stretch that i watched in that time um but oh and recently i watched uh you won't be alone which is a well it was marketed as a horror i guess macedonian horror film but it's not a horror it's uh about what it's like to be alive forgiveness um a modernist take on horror a lot of dripping water people pouring water over themselves minimal special effects a witch that can change shape um and just i uh didn't really want to watch it justine wanted to watch it i said what's it about she said some kind of witch movie macedonian horror and i was like i don't really want to watch that and then she watched it and the next day she was like no no you have to watch it it's not about horror it's about what it is to um, have humanity in a world that doesn't often have humanity back or doesn't want to share the humanity. I don't know. Uh, it's not a horror movie. It has horror elements to it, but there's a lot being said in it on uh, multiple levels. And uh, it's one of the movies where I was, where you want to sort of tell everyone, like this is a movie that should be seen and probably will be seen um, over time um, by people who are interested in that kind of stuff or something that's a little different, but, uh, yeah, has something to say. Uh, I could see myself teaching it, which is probably either a really, like, uh, high praise or uh, low praise, depending on who you are. Um, and if you're in my classes, uh, I won't apologise. Uh, and you're there to learn not to be entertained. That's my um, go-to line to give students. Um, but the movie I want to talk about um, more than any, I won't spend too much time on it because it's probably going to be high on a lot of people's lists at the end of the year, uh, is probably the my favourite movie I've watched, certainly the most entertaining and certainly the best cinema experience that I had in a long, long time, probably since I saw Midsummer in uh, 2019. Um, and I'd say in my top 10 ever going to the cinema. Um, fun times is uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Just a wildly entertaining film. Again, overly didactic at times, just like, here is the message of the film, but 
holy shit, wasn't it funny? If you've seen it, just watch it again. It's so entertaining. And that's weird, right? To go, oh, I watched this movie and it was so entertaining all the way through. It's just like, oh, here's about 8 million ideas that we're going to chuck in and you're kind of going to understand, but is it important? Not really. And uh, then we'll throw all this other stuff at you and it will just get absurd and um, almost like Dadaist at some points where it's like really absurd and obscure and um, featuring some rocks at some point. Uh, my brother sent me a message after seeing it and was like, if the movie just stopped after the rocks were talking to each other, then that probably would have been the best movie I've ever seen. And I kind of agree. The last sort of third is a bit too overwritten and uh, one of those times where I was like, yep, yep, yeah, oh no, we've got it. We we got your message. Yes, we have. Can we? Yep. Oh no, he's still explaining the message. Yep. You know, I understand what the message is. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. It's important to be nice to people. That's good. Oh, you're still explaining it. Okay. Yep. And it's still going. Um, but in general, like hot dogs and rocks and googly eyes and I don't know. It's just Michelle Yeoh just kicking ass like uh, like only she can. Um, and David Lopan um, from Big Trouble in Little China, he's in it, yep, and Short Round from Indiana Jones, Data from Goonies. So it's very, uh, again, it's a bit of nostalgia, and they knew what they were doing casting um, these people, so we would go, oh, that guy, yeah, that guy, and, you know, it's just great to see, and to see someone who I think I, my brother showed me, Police Story 3, Police Story 2, whichever one she's in, from like the early 90s with Jackie Chan. Like, oh, she's pretty good. Um, did her own stunts, nearly died in some of the stunts, but that's cool. I think uh, you can see it on YouTube. Where they're driving and Jackie Chan actually grabs her on a moving car, stop her falling off. Why would you do that? Anyway, uh, so I watched that, but I also watched um, their other film um, by, blanking on their name, oh, The Daniels, by the, um, the Daniels, they call themselves. I think it's Daniel Kwan and... I'm going to get these names, Shine It, something like that. Um, that came out in 2016. It is really weird. <laughs> um, if you have seen Everything Everywhere All at Once and you're like, that was a pretty weird movie. Swiss Army Man is very, very strange. Paul Dano is a, a man on his own on an island uh, and a uh, corpse washes up on the beach and the corpse is Daniel Radcliffe. Uh, and the uh, corpse can communicate and uh, fart and you be used as a jet ski and he's a Swiss army man and so he can be used. So Daniel Radcliffe is a corpse and Paul Dano's character has to teach the corpse about what it's like to be alive. Uh, yeah, uh, very strange. Um I don't know if it works, but I was I was captivated. It was pretty weird, and it has an excellent soundtrack, which I got obsessed with uh, for a while. But what a, that was weird. Um, everything, everywhere, all at once is um, much more uh, accessible. The Swiss Army Man, I can imagine you're putting it on if you like weird movies. If you're watching with someone who doesn't like weird movies, they'll be like, what is this? I'm going to turn it off. This is weird. Anyway, I've already talked way too long about all this stuff, so... They're all the good movies I saw. Uh, my daughter was a big fan of um, my youngest of, um, I think, watching Some Like It Hot. She watched that 
two or three times this year. That's like when she's sick. And if I'm home with her, then we've put that on. She loves it, which is great. How good's watching Some Like It Hot? 1959. Um, Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis. Jack Lemmon's hilarious. God, he's funny. And um, Tony Curtis putting on his uh, Cary Grant voice is just ridiculous. Oh, I'm in Shell Oil, don't you know? And then I, you know end up talking like that for the rest of the week annoying my daughter um just very quickly uh, i really enjoy watching the bear that's a tv show about working in a kitchen super intense um short episodes uh, atlanta ended sad face i love atlanta always have great series sad that it's finished probably good that it went four seasons doesn't need to go any further um new season of big mouth came out my 14 year old asked me if i if she should watch it and i said let's just say uh i as a parent maybe don't watch it but you probably should watch it um and her watching it because it's all about kids going through puberty and it's horribly rude and it's but if i was 14 i would definitely be watching it and probably learning a lot of things that would be helpful and she has asked me some pretty direct questions from it um which i knew she would and which are great and the things she gets out of the show aren't just like oh it's so dirty and some of these things it's actually about uh, body autonomy and um uh and and the thing the show does better than anything else is talking about shame uh when you're going through puberty and and what the how you feel about your own body and what it does and how you feel uh, emotionally and sexually as well and it has like my favorite character i mean it's played by david thula so i'm already in but the shame wizard oh dear oh dear you are a dirty little boy um anyway um but also the show that ended this year that made me very sad was uh pamela adlon's better things it's like the comfort food show it's only is five seasons um her and her three children just Messing about, really, just trying to get through each day without fucking up too much. And uh, that's, yeah, that was a, a, a sad end to that series. It was sad that it had to end. Um, but it's a beautiful show and it makes me happy. And I always love watching it every week with Justine. That was our show that we would sit down and, like I said, the comfort food show to watch. So anyway, that's the... Uh, movie slash tv portion of this podcast going too long sorry everyone i'll try and truncate it for the rest <laughs> probably not so let's just have a little break and uh, i'll play a clip from uh quest love's summer of soul around the park people were selling food mom was cooking she had her grill chicken mac and cheese maybe some greens lemonade kool-aid selling beer selling headbands, sweatbands, and balloons. I remember that distinctly. It smelled like Afro-Sheen and chicken. Growing up in Harlem, if you went to places like that, even went to the movies, mom fried some chicken, she put it in a foil, and you took it with you. We brought everything to the park. You know, the blankets, the Vaseline for the knees. It was the ultimate black barbecue. And then you start to hear music and someone speaking. And you knew it was something bigger 
That's a good song. Everybody's shaking your shoulders because it's 1969. All right, let's get on to the music section of the uh, podcast. Uh, a lot of new music came out. I guess everyone was back in studios and, you know, it's, again, it's not post-COVID, but it kind of feels like it and, uh, you know, precautions in place. So we had, I don't know, new music from lots of people. Taylor Swift, of course. Um, in 1975, their new album was good. Earl Sweatshirt I liked. More Arctic Monkeys. Um, just an aside. It's a great moment of parenting for me. And uh, Justine was my daughter kind of t- liking the Arctic Monkeys and taking a risk in June, I think, and buying tickets to see uh, live in January. And then, I don't know, sometimes around late September she like announced to us like that she's completely obsessed with the Arctic Monkeys and loves it and we we're like yay that's cool uh so yeah so she's off to see them it'll be her first big concert and uh, she's already pre-thinking and thinking about how do people actually behave and do they sing along do they scream are people good at singing it's, it doesn't matter if you can sing or not sing and can anyone hear you anyway lots of questions you can have a lot of questions be very heightened um new florence and the machine going to see florence in march i think again i saw her in 2009 with justine and a few other people that'll be great to see her you know 14 years later um with a whole career behind her we saw her in her first album the lungs tour so that'll be good to see her again great new album um does what she does best and belts out songs here and there a lot of it was about surprise surprise like um mental health and isolation obviously um some good freddie gibbs uh but uh one of the best albums i liked this year was by dj danger mouse uh and dj danger mouse and i go way back 2004 i want to say uh, I was working in um, Hibaragaoka in uh, Japan, teaching at Nova, um, uh, Nova no Sensei, and just working one day, and it, they would pipe music in over the over or throughout the lessons when you teach these forty-minute lessons that were, you know, pretty repetitive, and they would just put some fairly generic music over the top, blah blah blah. And one day I was in there and I. I was in the middle of a lesson just saying, all right, please listen and repeat. I would like to buy some cheese and some butter. I mean, it wasn't that exactly, but it was might as well have been. And uh, I heard a sound. And what it sounded like was some hip-hop, but the music behind the hip-hop was certainly the Beatles. Um, and to be specific, it sounded like songs from the White Album. And so then there was a break every 40 minutes. Ding, dong, ding, dong. The lesson would be over. You'd have like a five-minute break or whatever before your next lesson. And I went in there and I was like, what's this? What's the music that's being played? And uh, good old John Davis from, um, uh, where is he? from Atlanta. Yes, from Atlanta, Georgia. He 
said, oh, this is the Grey album. This is um, Jay-Z's Black album mixed with the Beatles' White album. And that completely broke my brain. And, and I was like, what, what? And he said, yeah, yeah, it's just been released on uh, on the internet. Uh, and so I think I gave him, this is back in the day, I gave him my iPod. He took it home and came back and he put the Grey album and a whole lot of other hip-hop. Uh, so John Davis in uh, Atlanta, I don't think he's listening, but anyway, John Boy, um, that's how I got into that. And that's like been my one of my favorite albums ever since. Uh, I'll play a little bit of um, the Grey album right here. Yeah, so he had a new album, DJ Danger Mouse, and a whole lot of people um, guested on that, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, Kendrick Lamar, he had a new album, of course, come out. Um, I don't think it's going to be as successful as his previous albums. He was trying, again, a lot of personal stuff uh, about, you know, growing up and, and dealing with relationships and being a better person, but... Um, I don't know. Sometimes when people like get really get personal, they sort of alienate. Like, yeah, that's good. This is very specific, and I don't know. It must be very hard uh, to be some kind of artist and like go, "All right, I'm going to share what I'm feeling." But if you get too specific, then it's hard for other people to relate because it's very specifically you. Uh, but anyway, he still has um, some uh, obviously. He's got a bit of talent, hasn't he? Um, and the heart part five, the the video of it with um, some deep fakes of OJ and Kobe and um, amongst others, I can't remember off the top of my head. That was pretty great. Uh, also, probably has my favourite verse of the year when I play that. Look what I done for you. Take the drums out. Celebrate new life when it come back around. The purpose is in the lessons we learning now. Sacrifice personal gain over everything. Just to see the next generation better than ours. I wasn't perfect, the skin I was in, I truly suffered. Temptation and patience, everything that the body nurtures. I felt the good, I felt the bad, and I felt the worry. But all in all, my productivity has stayed urgent. Face your fears, always knew that I would make it here. Where the energy is magnified and persevered. Consciousness is synchronized and crystal clear. Euphoria is glorified and made his. Reflecting on my life and what I done Paid dues, made rules, change out of love Them same views made schools change curriculums But didn't change me staring down the barrel of that gun Should I feel resentful I didn't see my full potential? Should I feel regret about the good that I was into? Everything is everything, this ain't coincidental I woke up that morning with more heart to give you As I bleed through the speakers, feel my presence To my brother, to my kids, I'm in heaven To my mother, to my sis, I'm in heaven 
To my father, to my wife, I'm serious. This is heaven. To my friends, make sure you count them blessings. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, he's pretty good. Um, other music that uh, sort of I heard for the first time that's, you know, a bit all over the shop. Uh, I heard this song called Souls from Souls of Mischief from 1993. It's called 93 Till Infinity, and it's so 1993, obviously, but it's a really good song. And um, again, I can sit here and go, oh, this is a really, I'll just play it. Play it. So here it is, Souls of Mischief, 93 Till Infinity. This is how we chill from 93 Till. And then there's um, Christine and the Queens, the song's Tilted. Um, it was used in uh, Better Things, which I've already talked about, I think season three or season two finale. Might even be season one. They were, they were pretty good from the start uh, where they did a cool dance for Max's graduation. Uh, but then I listened to it a lot this year. I may have done a dance for Alison when she left town to that song. Uh, and then uh, we watched the re redone heartbreak high uh, and then that song appeared so um it was kind of hearing it a lot of places so yeah it's uh it's got a, a very specific beat and um tone to it as you'll hear right now Christine and the Queens. Um, Girl in Red didn't release an album, but released a, a new song. Um, October Pass Me By. I love it. Hopefully, um, I know Girl in Red is touring with the Laneway Festival, but I don't want to pay $190 for a ticket for me and a ticket for Violet uh, to go to that. So hopefully there will be some sideshows. Uh, and if there are, then Violet and I will go, and I'll probably be the oldest person there. Um, and Violet has already told me that she will cry all the way through that concert, so kind of want to see that in some weird way. Uh, I want to thank 
Nicole uh, from our previous uh, episode because she uh, introduced me to Open by The Cure, which is a song for some reason I hadn't really heard before or I hadn't heard for 20 years, so I'd forgotten about. Love it. Great song about going to a party and getting off your face and saying to someone, yeah, yeah, we'll have one drink and then we'll leave and then being completely wasted. Very, very familiar. Um, Again, just, I don't know how uh, Robert Smith uh, gets into the, in some ways can be very complicated, but in other ways it's just like, no, this is a song about getting very wasted and trying to keep it together and being there with someone else and losing them for part of the night and then finding them and then it's all going a bit out of control. The next one I want to play is uh, I went to see a couple of art installations. I went to see the Van Gogh installation, which someone described as paying $55 to watch a computer screensaver screensaver of... uh, uh, Van Gogh's paintings but I really enjoyed it I wish I didn't take my kids because they watched it for about 40 minutes and I'm like can we go and go to the shop or whatever go and look at the uh, sunflower room but I would have happily sat there probably for two hours and watched it moved around watched it from different vantage points but anyway they had a, an indigenous um, art display uh, in a similar style at the um, National Museum and I took Noelle and her friend to see and while we're there, they, a song came on and immediately I was like, what is this? And got my phone out because it's modern times and you can just press a button and find out what the song is. And the song is by Baker Boy and it's Medigin and it's probably my favorite, like, let's, let's have a bit of a dance song of the year. I love it. And... Uh, Rather than talk any more about it, I'll just play you a bit of it. And I think you'll be able to tell, uh, I guess, maybe the challenge is to try not to move along to the song. Music is the mitigen. These beats got us out of control. Things around like you never get old. Breaking and popping on my boys, pop locking. Got us feeling like we out of this world. You got neck brace, no problem You got two left feet, can't catch that beat Take a deep breath, cause I got this yo And that really brings us, like I said I wanted just to quickly go through Um the music here and uh, I really wanted just to finish uh, probably the song that I listen to the most whether or not Spotify tells me it's what I listen to the most at the end of the year but uh, it's a, a song from 2017 and it's by uh, Melanie De Biasio I probably butchered that but anyway Melanie De Biasio um, it's called Afro Blue and it really reminds me of a lot of these uh, old CDs we used to listen to in the late 90s called the, called the Rebirth of Cool, where it was sort of a hip-hop beat, but kind of played over 
uh, old sort of jazz recordings and stuff like that or, or remix songs and it sort of had a depth to it um the kind of liquid sound i don't know re just rebirth the cool um and yeah this song afro blue is uh wouldn't have been out of place in one of those and i'm going to play it from the start i won't play the whole song but uh, you'll get a sense of why i liked it so much and and that's really about it in terms of music um after that let's talk about some books of a land my soul is from I hear a hand stroke on the drum shades of delight go you rich as the night afro afro like that song um all right let's talk about some books uh probably halfway through the year i realized i was pretty much reading a book a week and again this is all from i guess august last year we went into that second lockdown and i started reading and then i just found i couldn't stop it's very good for uh self-care although someone told me that they're uh the doctor didn't consider reading to be self-care. I don't know, it's too passive. I don't know. Anyway, um, I tried to read a book a week. Oh, I didn't actually. I just realized about halfway through the year that that was the pace I was going. And then, of course, I thought, oh, I'll try and read 50 books in the year. Um, I didn't quite make it, but uh, I don't know. I don't want to finish with 45, 46. Um, yeah, anyway, that's not important right now. Uh, I just wanted to go through very quickly some books and uh why i like them and and then we'll get out of here because uh, it's going longer than i expected um the first book i read really in the new year was a book called open water by caleb azuma nelson uh, not the boxer and uh, i saw this recommended on a youtube channel that i like um I can't even remember the name of the channel, Jack something. And uh, he recommended it. He said, oh, this is what you should read this year. And he explained the, why it was so good. And I went and bought it that day and I read it that day. Uh, it is fairly short. It's written in the second person, which is a little hard to get used to. But it, I don't know, It was. it's written um, by uh, a young writer whose uh, family has like this shared trauma of black British heritage um, slash African um, heritage and trying to reconcile all of that uh, and I don't know I 
learned so much reading it. And I think the thing that I really took away from it as a privileged white man who's never really had to consider anything like this is uh, I think sometimes we as a, as a progressive people go, oh, uh, people who are different from me, share your stories with me. I am ready to listen. I'm here for you to listen. Um, not that we say it in a way that should be uh, you should be glad that we're listening. Um, but this book really sort of spoke to me of this idea that I hadn't really considered of like, what if you're the trauma of being a minority, the trauma or your ancestral or your family history of trauma, what if it actually prevents you from expressing yourself and what it's like to be you? And that sometimes even if we say, oh, we're here to listen, that we don't, the writer doesn't owe us or or the, the minority doesn't owe us as the status quo, I guess. They don't owe us the right to share their story. They don't owe us the education of understanding where they're coming from. And that came through with this book. And I I don't know. It's it's the first, like I said, the first book I read, but it certainly had a, a massive impact. And every time I think of it, I come back to this idea of this shared trauma and what it does to trying to express yourself and it sort of comes through in the book of this struggle of I'm trying to get this out but I can't and all it makes me do is cry and get emotional and or get angry um, when I try to and that comes through even in the writing and uh, yeah it, it, it won the Costa First Novel Award last year and I believe Caleb Zuma Nelson has a book uh, his second book coming out next year anyway so yeah that was open water um i also read some older books i read the razor's edge by uh, m somerset morn uh it is pretty funny i like reading um <laughs> again you read it and you're like is this author like a stereotype of a 1940s homosexual uh all he does is comment about how ugly all the women are uh and their fashion sense and how terrible it is he's obsessed with how fat everyone is um which at first became jarring and then i just chuckled every time he introduced a new character and then detail uh whether they were fat or not um and it just became almost a parody and again it's 1944 and a lot of times you read these and you're like, well, this reads as a parody because so much has been done with characters like this and stories like this. Um, it's, uh, he's a great writer of character. He has his character called Elliot in it. And probably my f- the thing that made me laugh out loud more than anything else was this once wealthy man talking about uh, what happened in the Great Depression and what it did to... <laughs> what it did to um, the high society and saying that now that uh, the depression's come through and wiped out all these really interesting people, he has to go to parties that are so bad that actors are allowed to go. Honest to God, actors. That's in bold too, like in caps. How great is that? 
that's how bad the party is that they let they let anyone in, even actors. Anyway, that's um you know the razor's edge, M Somerset Morn. Um a little too winking, like it's about America's fascination with money. Um like it's pre uh it's pre the Great Depression, the Wall Street crash and post. And it's uh, got some really interesting characters as it's metaphysical. Again, some of it you're like, oh god. Like the the guy who's searching for truth goes to an ashram in India and it just now it just reads as like the biggest cliche ever. But for nineteen forty four you'd be like, Wow, that's I mean, 1930, when it was set, that would have been so way out. Um, yeah, that was pretty cool, though. Uh, I read uh, Clara and the Sun, Kazuo Ishiguro, Ishiguro, I believe. Um, and it's from the point of view of this robot. And it's set in the future. You don't really, there's no real like connectors to be like, oh, this is set in LA, or this is set in Tokyo, or this is set in Paris, or this is set in a rural area. Um it's all just set through this robot's eyes trying to explore what it happens, what the world is like. You never get a full picture. Um, I'm sure someone has delved really deeply into this book to look at the subtext and what it's actually saying and what's actually going on. Um, but sometimes I like reading these books that are like quite minimal where it's like something weird's happening. Is there a cult involved? But not like an overt cult of like, oh, they're going to have a big sacrifice. It's just, why all these people kind of acting weird? Um, and that's kind of the this unsettling approach. Um, but all Clara wants to do is be a nice robot. So, And they're trying and they're sad. and Well, they don't know they're sad, but they're trying to explore this stuff. Anyway, that's Clara and the sun. Kazuo Ishiguro. That was pretty good. Um, I read The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Um, Someone described it as a smart book for dumb people, which is harsh, but in some ways fair. Now, I'm only mentioning this because it annoyed me and it's overwritten and it's, as an English teacher, you know, we're trying to, we tried to tell students like show, don't tell. And it's, that's a hard concept, I think, for students to get. They don't really quite understand what we're talking about. Um, but this book te- does a lot of telling. And I've got an excerpt here, which is uh, the main character looking at in a news agent at a magazine. And she picks up a science magazine and she says, as she stared now at the magazine cover, at an image of a black hole. She realized that's what she was. A black hole. A dying star collapsing in on itself. Now that's telling, right? Like you could have finished that. Like as she stared in a magazine, there was an image of a black hole. And then we do the rest. All right, we get it, right? She realizes that's a black hole and we get the metaphor. But there's like three different add-on sentences and that happened all the way through the book um it's a book about like having different chances in life but it's not great uh sometimes books are popular and people like them but when you read them you go this is not good that's enough from me about that anyway speaking of what's not good what's not not good is uh i read some more agatha christie and i read crooked house um 
yeah, as I said last year, this Agatha Christie, pretty good writer. Uh, great characters, bit of political commentary thrown in there. Nice joy, uh, some good twist elements where you're like, oh, I, oh okay, that's cool. Um, some of it's very out of date, but yeah, Agatha Christie writes cracking novels. Again, took me 43 years to be like, Ugh, Agatha Christie, isn't that for old people? But I guess, yes. Um, but they're just books where you're like, this is really entertaining. There's a reason why uh, they're like the highest selling author of all time. Um, I read... Another book called If We Were Villains by M.L. Rio, uh, which is a bit like Donna Tartt's The Secret History, which if you've read it, you either loved or hated, uh, or in between, I guess, because when I think about it, I don't know. Uh, that was very pretentious, that book, and the characters are pretentious. I didn't like any of them, but it was well-written, huge and overlong. But, um, but this book, If We Were Villains, is quite similar. Uh, but uh, connector for me reading it is that it's pretentious, self-important drama students. Uh, so yeah, I got a lot out of that, and a lot of the characters in it, the, the different drama students that you have and their roles, uh, I recognised in as a drama teacher, but also just studying drama at uni. The types of people who want attention at all costs, the ones who. Uh, I want to do something interesting, the ones who are sort of introverted but are on the stage and have something going on beneath the surface that's really interesting to look at. Uh, I'll let everyone else be the judge of where you think I fit in all those characters. Um, and I think it's the same with The Secret History. Like, I enjoyed the writing and I enjoyed the world, but I don't like the people very much. So it's always interesting when people write a whole lot of characters and you don't like any of them, but the stories fairly compelling uh speaking of compelling i read um probably in the top three books i read this year was hamnet by maggie o'farrell um i like maggie o'farrell i picked up her book i am i am i am in a melbourne bookshop when we were there for a school trip i read it on the bus trip home the eight hours home i read the whole thing in one sitting and it was all about her brushes with death, and she just seemed to have so many brushes with death. Uh, accidents, near drownings, nearly getting hit by cars, getting run over at one point, falling out of windows, all that stuff. Anyway, but Hamnet is a, a story of um, Shakespeare's son called Hamnet. Um, Noelle called it the pig boy. I think she thought it was a better title. Um, and it's about, yeah, Shakespeare's son uh, in 15... 96 and it also goes back in time to 1583 uh where he where it's like shakespeare meeting his wife but it's through the point of view of the wife or the son it's not through shakespeare's point of view and shakespeare himself's like this uh sort of shadowy other character you don't really see him much he's in london he's hanging out in london trying to get a start in uh in the theater world that's what the, the wife's point of view is about that and she's dealing with his family uh and she's got twins and she's uh worried because she's had a vision that uh her daughter's going to die and it's uh beautifully written i loved there's a few sections in it but there's one beautiful section where her husband who is william shakespeare is unhappy where he's living 
with them. And so she encourages him, you need to go to London. You need to pursue this theatre thing, this writing that you do. You've been writing all your life. You need to, why don't you go to London and pursue it? And then he writes letters back to her and she realises that by sending him away, she has lost him, that this joy, joy de vie, uh, is coming through his words in his letters to her uh, and she realises that, yeah, he's... uh, He's now lost to her, and it was her fault. And she's obviously happy that he's found his place and what he wants to do, but she realizes very quickly. Uh, And, you know, she worries that he's having an affair, but the reality is he's kind of having an affair with being a writer. And it's very interesting to think of, you know, Shakespeare being in London and people being 100 kilometers away and not knowing anything about what he's been up to and this amazing success he's having but 100 kilometers away no one really knows and they just like call him oh yes your husband is doing his weird theater thing and he's becoming the greatest playwright there ever was so that bit's cool anyway just really beautiful heartbreaking beautifully paced just fantastic hamnet maggie o'farrell um of course i read a life of unlearning um by anthony ben brown um and then i interviewed him who uh, the story itself we talked about on the podcast, but uh, if you want to read it, A Life of Unlearning, it's um, just about how he went from being a minister who uh, came out as gay. He had a a wife and and two girls, came out as gay in the early 90s and how that affected uh, his relationship with faith, how his relationship with the community, how it affected his relationship with his um obviously his family uh he, yeah just talks a lot about shame and guilt and regret which are three topics i like to go over uh let's see i read persuasion by jane austen it's, that's pretty good uh i don't understand why romance writers ignore this idea of containing your feelings they sort of write it as if oh i really like oh i love him and i can't be with him but this is sort of separate to that they just it's always i'm going to keep it within uh and it's like i'm going to burst but again it's that show don't tell you don't have to say this is how i'm feeling all the time um and so it's just containing your feelings works well in romance uh, and but when a man walks in with an admiral's hat on, ooh, there's not much you can do. Um, I read White Teeth by Zadie Smith, which I've been meaning to read for years, uh, and I read it very quickly. Uh, it reminded me of Salman Rushdie's Midnight's Children, but it was much more modern uh, and probably a bit more nuanced, uh, a bit more well-observed and a bit more in reality. Um, I love the, again, horrible progressive white family with the savior complex that was you know fairly racist in their own progressiveness of let's bring these children out of out of their poor heritage and and lift them up we can bring them into society uh but it even references salman rushdie because it sort of spans from the 80s to 2000s i think uh and actually talks about um you know salman rushdie having a fatwa put on him and and the discussions between family members of whether 
they thought it was the right thing to do uh, and hating and, you know, saying, yes, it was the right thing. He's, we need to put a fatwa on him. And then everyone's saying, well, you know, the main character saying, have you read the book? And they're, of course, saying no. Um, but sprawling character uh, work. Sadie Smith's White Teeth. Uh, I read three books by Emily St. John Mandel, thanks to Lisa Batum. Um, I read Station Eleven, which is a kind of um, <laughs> book that she started reading at the start of 2020. For some reason, put it down uh, as it's all because of a horrible pandemic that sweeps the globe. Um, I wonder what it would have been like to read it before COVID. I don't know whether people would have been like, this is a great science fiction book, but it's pretty interesting to read it now and just be like, oh, okay. Uh, one lesson is it could have been worse. <laughs> That's uh, what comes through. Um, very, very good construction of world. And um, I don't know. She, Emily St. John Mandel has this kind of restraint that I really liked. Um, I also read The Glass Hotel and... Um, the Sea of Tranquility. I basically read them back to back to back. Um, and I think Gla The Glass Hotel was my favorite and maybe not my favorite when I was reading it, but after reading it, I probably thought about it more and more again about regret uh, and theft. And also like this idea of like when we know people around us are dishonest, uh, but we don't say anything because we'll get something out of the relationship or uh, like it's about in business, but it's also in relationships. And this idea of sort of willingly looking away from the uncomfortable truth so you can reap the benefits. Yeah. Yeah, maybe societally. I don't know. Uh, and The Sea of Tranquility was her latest uh, one, but it's sort of goes through time and space. It's a bit of time travel. Uh, I don't know though has one of my least favorite tropes when a author has a character in the book who's an author and that author is complaining about critics uh which is just like i don't know it's, i mean you're an author do whatever you want but you don't have to be like oh these critics are stupid because and i read it and now i'm out of the book i'm not reading the book i'm reading you know your point of view it's not a character it's the author it's author voice versus character voice um but great handle and structure uh read it very quickly in about you know two days and um there's some stuff in there about the pandemic and one thing that i've, I've talked to a few people about is the the insights on the pandemic that were made i found not unpleasant but i didn't really need to read them because I went through the pandemic and I know what, how much it sucked and how much we, you know, were able to do all this stuff online, but really we missed the, you know, human contact of being face to face with people and even human touch with people or even just being in the same room and eye contact and that kind of stuff. I was like, yeah, I know. I went. <laughs> it felt like saying like, yes, I know I was there. So um, that was interesting. Um, I also read uh, I'm Glad My Mum Died, which is a uh, sort of autobiography um, by Jeanette McCurdy, who was in a lot of Disney kid shows in the early 2000s and uh, 2010s. Uh, a very dysfunctional relationship with her mother, obviously, which is why I'm glad my mum died. Uh, the mum obviously had was battling mental health issues and uh, sort of 
a, a cliche of the parent living vicariously through the young child. Um, again, though, like it was marketed like hilarious. I didn't find it funny in any way, shape or form. I don't know why people think some things are hilarious, but uh, it was just interesting to think about whether this is like voyeurism. When someone's telling you like, this is what my mother forced me to do and I started calorie counting at nine or whatever and uh, here is my life open bare. Like that's courageous and that's how it's also viewed. Like, oh, what a courageous story. But sometimes it, it gets close to voyeurism. Like, do I do I want to know this much about you? Um, and I don't know. That's a, I guess that's a, a discussion not just about this book, but if we want people to be raw and open and honest, sometimes it feels close to voyeurism, like ghoulish, like, oh, tell me all your trauma and I'll... You know, I won't learn anything. I'm not learning anything apart from your trauma. It's not actually, um, it's so specific to you, I guess, that I'm not sure if that's just peering in on your diary or whether, um, well, I'm glad I read it, but yeah, I don't know. I like books that give me questions. Uh, I also read Less is Lost, which is a sequel to Less uh, by Andrew Sean Greer. Um, Arthur Less is a pretty confused man most of the time, an author um, who's traveling around America uh, trying to kind of avoid responsibility or um, under the pretense of finding responsibility. Uh, It's a little, I guess, I really enjoy him as a character. He's pretty hilarious in his confusion and uh, everyone else seems to be just going with the flow and he just can't get himself to that state um and for a sequel yes very entertaining a little didactic starts talking about like the state of modern american society again fine uh you can do that whatever you want but um again not everyone's in america uh i read uh what we don't talk about when we talk about fat which is by aubrey gordon i've been listening to maintenance phase which is aubrey's um podcast as well which sort of debunks a lot of dieting myths and and health myths and it's a really good two-part episode on pete evans which really breaks down and from someone who's not in australia breaking down all the points of view anyway all of that stuff um this idea is basically just challenging this idea the wellness industry um and the dieting industry and how we view like weight in terms of health and how we view being overweight as being a personal failing and uh, um, how we view like an obesity epidemic as being a failing of an individual because it takes us away from the idea that maybe it's systemic um, societal inequality and who are the overweight people uh, tend to be the poor disenfranchised. Uh, but we won't address that. That seems like a big problem. So we'll say, if you are fat, then that's because you have no self-control and that we uh, that's sort of how we view the idea of fat. And talking about it with Justine and reading about it and listening, I realized very quickly, like, yes, that's what I feel. Uh, the reason I exercise as much as I do is so I'm not fat. Because if I was fat... That would mean, A, I would be unhappy, because of course you would be, wouldn't you? Um, when you lose weight, then you are happy. That's how it's sold to us. Happier people are the people who've just lost weight. Uh, and also um, that if, yes, if I was fat, then that would be my fault. And, and that would 
bring a lot of shame and guilt. And that's sort of what a lot of Aubrey Gordon is doing is challenging this idea that, you know, is wellness and, and dieting and how diets don't work. And when there's a new fad diet, like all it does, you can lose weight and, and lose it quite quickly, but can you keep it off? That's a different story. And that being overweight doesn't necessarily mean you're unhealthy and being underweight and being thin doesn't mean you're healthy either. Um, so there's a lot of this idea of like, we have to be our best self means that we have lost weight. And think, just think about whenever anyone tells you that they've lost weight, what are, what are our reactions? Like, how much do we congratulate them? And, and what's un the underlying message there? You must be a good person. You have self-control. Um, okay. Uh, I read The Thin Man by Dashiell Hammett. Uh, it is, again, written in the 40s. Uh, 30s and 40s it's a it's a good old uh, detective story with a lot of people drinking at 10 a.m or not drinking at 10 a.m waking up at 4 p.m and immediately having a drink for breakfast uh and there's just violence all the way through it um just violence people get slapped punched hit all the time uh i hadn't read any dashiell hammett uh, again when you read it you're like oh yeah this is all fairly straightforward but great characters who are lying all the time has this great moment about uh, talking about someone who lies and uh, usually people give up after a while but this person just keeps lying until you just get tired and go oh whatever um, and the last book I read or that I want to talk about is a book called Small Things Like These by Claire Keegan it's a very short novel it's about a hundred and something pages I haven't stopped thinking about it since I read it it's set in Ireland in 1985 uh, Ireland is going through a recession and there's a lot of poverty and the main character is selling coal um, around Christmas and New Year's and he is quite disturbed by what he finds at the local convent for uh, and laundry for these uh, very uh, poor, impoverished we could call them, they were labelled fallen women. These young women who find themselves pregnant uh, are taken care of, and I use those terms in inverted commas, um, by the nuns. And what he finds there disturbs him, but it's all about like what do you act upon and your conscience and how does that impact the people around you? And, uh, and then the research I did afterwards uh, was far more depressing than the book. Uh, when I've told people about it, they're like, that sounds like a depressing book, but the book is is beautiful rather than depressing. and uh, <laughs> But the actual story behind it is very depressing. Um, but I was knocked out by the uh, way it's written, by the turn of phrase. You know what? I might even read you a bit. Just hang on a sec. So, where, where are we? Uh, yeah, so why don't I read you a bit, and then we'll uh, I'll finish talking about uh, books. This will be the last thing. So before long, he caught hold of himself and concluded that nothing ever did happen again. To each was given days and chances which wouldn't come back around. And wasn't it sweet to be where you were and let it remind you of the past for once? Despite the upset... Instead of always looking on into the mechanics of the days and the trouble ahead, which might never come. 
I thought that was just really cool. Anyway, so that's it uh, for the year. Uh, Happy New Year to all of you, or whenever you listen to this. And uh, thank you again for listening, if you've made it this far through a solo pod. It's over an hour, jeez. Thank you again for listening and for your feedback and getting back to me and filling out surveys about whether you're Chatterati or Chattanoogas. You're you're just what you want. Chat potatoes, I guess you are now. Um, And yeah, thank you again to everyone who's been on the program or listened to the program. And yeah, I'll just keep the ball rolling and keep doing the episodes, I guess. Uh, I, I will finish like I did last year with a clip from another podcast. And again, I don't know why I find just listening to people laugh about things really hilarious. I've got feedback from people that they don't like listening to other people laugh. Now, this is um, from um, Two Bears, One Cave. It's Tom Segura and Bert Kreischer. Uh, And they were just talking about um, whether they could hang out. uh, They wanted to meet Jennifer Aniston and maybe set up something that they could all do together. They're both comedians. uh, And they were talking about when they could meet her. I think it was probably 2021 when it was recorded, but I only stumbled upon it this year. Uh, And I want you just to listen to Bert's laugh. Uh, uh, When you listen, the first time I heard it, I thought maybe he would die uh, before uh, too long just by his laugh. Uh, And just be aware, I'm playing you a two-minute clip of them talking about whether they, what they should do when they go and meet Jennifer Aniston. Uh, I'm only playing you two minutes. It goes on for another six minutes after it, still laughing so if you want to find it you can go on youtube just type in tom and bert for safety anyway thank you very much for listening and uh i'll see you in 2023 i had a great time i had a great lunch and i really want to move forward with what we talked about let's go back and forth ready um you go to your camera i'll go to my camera and then we'll go back and forth and then we'll cut a sizzle and then, but what do we want out of this? Do we just want to do like brunch with her at her yeah. house? Yeah, yeah. Brunch with you. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like you know presumptive to say we have to be at your house. You know what I mean? Like we just want. How about we just want to have lunch? We're not coming to my fucking house. We can't fit all of us. Well, I'm just saying though. We can't. You can't. You know, to to is meeting someone is meeting, and if you go, I want to meet you at your house. Well, it's everything's a closed. It's got to be at her house or your house. Okay. Well, do we invite house. her to your house? No. Sure. No, we go to her house. Okay. How about we we say we, we bring our wives. Oh, <laughs> good, 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 good. She can. Can she bring a dude for safety? Now that's <laughs> that sends the wrong message. <laughs> We're dangerous. You should protect yourself. <laughs> for safety. <laughs> It doesn't sound good. <laughs> we understand that you might feel threatened in our presence. So if you want to have a couple of security people there, it's a good idea. <laughs> and then you would... Oh, 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 <laughs> 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 my pants. <laughs> if you're around us, you might think you're gonna die. So bring bring some. Why you send the wrong message? <laughs> <laughs> oh.
Uh-huh. Can we come to your house? <laughs> there are some people there. Can I meet you? <laughs> but can, you should protect yourself. 